Welcome and thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Bala Afshar, Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Holger, myself, and our distinguished guests your questions live and we'll do our best to answer. We'll certainly get to them after as well using hashtag Disrupt TV. Ray Wong, my uh, regular co-host, is in the air on his way to India. So it's my privilege to have one of our guests who was kind enough to be a co-host today, Holger Mueller, Vice President, Principal Analyst at Constellation Research, who will be our co-host. Holger's research focuses on technology optimization, innovation, data to decision, and consumerization of technology in the new, new C-suite. Uh, Holger consults uh, CIOs, CMOs, CDOs, Chief Human Resource Officers, Chief Revenue, and so many others, including uh, venture capital firms and startups. You can follow Holger on Twitter at H-O-L-G-E-R-M-U. Welcome, Holger, as co-host of Disrupt TV. Thank you, Mala. It's great to be here. I'm afraid we only lost our only visual cue in the audience because David already sat back and relaxed and figured out, oh, it's going to be five-minute introduction. So forgive me if I cut your introduction short because I don't feel the engagement from David's side, right? So <laughs> no further ado, Bala Afshar, evangelist at Salesforce, a great person to know, great person to be on the show, very interesting person to follow on Twitter, amazing tweets. Um, uh, I look at them every time I get the notification. I don't know how he does it. Uh, probably it's a question of the hairstyle. I have too much hair for that or too much of it. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. I can guarantee you this is the first introduction like this that ever has happened of Vala. Did I forget anything important? No, 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 that was great. But more yeah, important- David is still sitting back, so I haven't gotten back re-engaged. But what can I tell to our first guest to get him more engaged here, David? You're sitting too relaxed back in the chair. <laughs> I want everyone ah. to see a t-shirt. Very I, good. I it's, it's our privilege to have David Ossip, Chairman CEO of Ceridian, as our guest. And I'll try to be short with his bio because he has done a lot. And we only have a 20-minute show. David is driving force behind the innovation vision leadership at Ceridian, one of the fastest growing global human capital management technology companies in the world. Previously, he founded Dayforce, which is another highly successful SaaS company. And that was acquired by Ceridian in 2012. In 2013, David became the CEO, in 2015, its chairman. David is a recipient of, many, recipient of many awards for his leadership, including Ernest Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award. He was named Canada's top 40 under 40. Last year, David was awarded Canada's most admired CEO for transformational leadership by uh, Waterstone Human Capital. He's also been named one of the highest rated CEO on Glassdoor, and his company, one of the best places to work in 2016, 2017, 2018. So amazing accomplishment. You can follow David on Twitter at D-O-S-S-I-P. Welcome, David, to Disrupt TV. Happy to be here. That's a great introduction. Really, really nice. Our pleasure. Holger, I'll, you can start with the first question. Yeah, no, I mean, echoing what Vala said about David, uh, it's, it's great to have a, being a technologist, having a technologist as CEO of a company. So I always enjoy uh, listening to David doing things. And he's the only CEO in the HR space who does keynotes and then does questions to the audience, which takes some mental fortitude to take anything. You can ask me anything that you want to, right? The only, the only CEO, he's no longer a CEO who used to do this is Larry Ellison from Oracle, but he's gone over to the scripted world now. So something has happened over there. So kudos to keep that up, David. So the big question, of course, as we talk about the future of work is where do you see the disruptors happening, right? What do you think are the things that CHROs are seeing, struggling with, and looking for you as vendors to help them with? So the, um, when I look at it, I look at us as an example, because I think you know the history of Ceridian. I uh, took over the company in 2012, 2013, and my highest priority, my number one priority was employee culture. I had taken over an organization where there was really a culture of survival. And as a cloud entrepreneur, I needed to get into a culture of innovation. I needed a culture that would lead to, towards performance. So we made our number one priority culture. Now, uh, culture isn't really just a buzzword. It has to be done authentically inside an organization. And the way that we did it is we chose a purpose, a brand promise that we felt we could rally people around. And then around that brand promise, we came up with very specific values that supported that brand promise. 
And the importance is that in today's world, especially with the younger generations, it's very important that they feel that they're respected, that they're trusted, and they are part of something that they believe in. And for us, it turned out tremendously. If you, if you look at the performance of the organization, uh, Dayforce has grown at a compounded annual growth rate of 60% over the last five years or so. Um, we've onboarded over 3,000 customers live onto the Dayforce platform. Uh, our Glassdoor ratings, uh, as you know today, are best in class around 4.3. If you look at the NPS uh, scores that we have across our customer base, what you're seeing there is when you get an employee, the employee group that is engaged, it really translates into the customer experience. And that really does lead to proper economical performance of an organization. And we're just a, a perfect example of that. That's amazing. Go ahead, go ahead, Holger. No, I was just wondering because you said that you had this massive culture change job, right? Coming from mm -hmm. a slowly dwindling, mainframe-based, old dinosaur payroll organization. And that mentality, of course, with the outside perception is case goes to the employees. You had to change all that moving to cloud, but now you're so growing also fast, right? What would you say from your experience, what is harder, changing the culture or keeping the culture as you grow blazingly fast? And maybe give our audience one or two tips uh, out of your experience, what will help there? Well, I would answer that in order to have growth, you have to have sustained culture. And you don't get sustained growth unless you have the right culture. Uh, we are continually evolving who we are as an organization. And so I'll, I'll give you how far we've moved. Uh, one of the first things I did when I took over the organization is I went around to all of our offices and we're dealing with a population of about 5,000 people. And what I was trying to do is I was trying to understand what the triggers were around this engagement. I was down at the uh, Atlanta office and this uh, young woman approached me and she said, I'm a single mom. My daughter's about 12. I've been working in the mornings for the last eight years. I get home at around three o'clock. Recently, they moved me to the afternoon shift. I only get home now around 11 p.m. There's no one home for my daughter. Hmm. And obviously, as a human being, you can't do that to someone. And I went to her manager and the manager said, well, we have a point system everyone has certain types of uh, factors that constitute to their point balance and based on her points, this is the shift she got. And my response was, well, the system's wrong. You don't treat people like that. Uh, I went to our Tampa office and someone approached me and said, I'd like to apply for this new internal position, uh, but I'm out of my PTO balance. And I said, I, you know, I didn't understand how the two were related, but for that particular facility, you had to take a paid time, a paid day off apply for a particular position. How far we've moved, uh, we no longer have PTO balances within the company. We believe that we trust our employees and people can take any time off whenever they would like to without asking for permission. So if I have a child that I'd like to go to a school play, a soccer game, I have an aging parent that I'd like to go take care of, uh, I as an individual have that I have that uh, authority, if you like, or we trust you enough that you can actually do that. And programs like that have really reinforced the values of the organization. And it, it's made a very, very big difference. That's, a, that's, that's amazing. Kudos to you. Um, I just read a World Economic Forum post that said uh, by next year, a third of the human population will be 18 years or younger. And that by next year, Generation Z will outnumber millennials. Um, and so there is definitely a, a different way, perhaps, to engage uh, the various demographics at work. And, and so I'm, I'm wondering, how do you leverage technology, specifically analytics, to understand whether you have an engaged workforce and what levers you can pull to make sure that you stay true to your core values and guiding principles and that you have a culture that doesn't drift away from who you are, which is, again, one of the best places to work. So uh, a few things on that, because you've raised a number of different areas. You always have a multi-generational workforce. And if I look at our organization, I probably now have six different generations working together. So I have people from under 20 to over 80 working at the organization. 
And one thing I would never do is I'd never categorize people based on their physical age. Uh, I have some millennials that act much more like baby boomers or generation Xs. And then I have some people who are a lot older who act as if they were kind of millennials. So uh, it, it, it really does vary. Uh, a few things that do seem to resonate very well across generation is purpose. And if you're an organization today, it's very important that you as an organization are an active participant in your community. And you'll see that with most leading organizations. So if I look at Ceridian, we have Ceridian Cares, which is our own charity. And uh, instead of uh, raising money for United Way, uh, the employees go into Ceridian Care. And then in each of the offices, we have committees who look at all the nominations. And we hand out monies to people in our local communities and we hand out 100% of the monies that we actually raise. And we allocate the money typically to families who fall between the cracks. So it could be a 20 year old some a person who has MS who would like to go to school and need a ramp for their house. It could be a family that has an autistic child and they would like to send the kid to camp to give the family a break for a few weeks. So very specific causes. It could be someone who's cycling across the country and they need some sort of apparatus to handle, to help with their disability uh, for their bike. Hmm. And uh, what that leads, it really leads to a centralized cause and a acknowledgement that we are part of the environment, part of the actual community. In terms of systems, uh, we used A-Force and we've used, we, we came up with a tag uh, probably about two, three years, which is Dayforce is culture and with their example of how we've been able to use our own product to create this culture of innovation and this is, these are the great things that it's led to. Uh, in terms of engagement surveys, I do believe in engagement surveys and Holger, you'll see that when you come to uh, uh, insights. The importance of in engagement surveys is that you want to have the engagement surveys simplified and you want to compile the data that comes back from the surveys very, very quickly. Okay. And then the next part is that you have to share that information transparently with your entire organization. Mm -hmm. There's nothing inside that engagement survey that the employees do not know about, right? They're the source of the information. And when you begin to share that openly, you develop transparency. And the next step is for each of the items or the top, say, five items of pain points for your uh, workplace, it's important to develop specific programs and then report out your progress against those programs and share that with the, uh, with the employee base. Uh, within Ceridian, we actually share the management, uh, each manager's engagement results, so their ENPS scores openly. And we use that as a really a determination as to is this a good person who should be managing people hmm. or is it someone who should maybe be an individual contributor or maybe not even be within inside the organization, uh, which, which is very important. Yep. How do people and deal with transparency? transparency. Yeah. Uh, sorry, well, a little bit of echo there. So how do people uh, care with this dramatic level of, uh, how do they cope with the dramatic level of transparency? Well, you drive the transparency and that drives organizational change, which I think is very important. Um, one central theme that I, I feel strongly about is that if you're a manager, your primary role is to take care of your team. And as part of your regular review or conversations with the people, you should be constantly asking what the person wants to do in the short term and what they want to do in the long term. And every year you have to reorientate. You have to have that conversation. You're doing a great job at what you're doing, but are you happy doing what you're doing? Because if they're not happy, they'll be on LinkedIn, you know, clicking around, looking for something else. And if you get an organization where managers are really focused on the well-being and the career pathing of their employees, you'll have such an engaged workforce and such a high performing company. Uh, that there's no coming back from that. If you do it right, it's great, right? If things go wrong, right, you have to listen to employee surveys and then act on them, right? It's not enough to be transparent. You have to have the right action from that. Like any, any example where things didn't go so right and you want to do them right, to do them right? Well, you know, I, I, if I look at Ceridian, I go back to 13, 14, where we started instigating this program. Uh, it, it was 
not not a happy time, right? You know, you looked at the engagement surveys and they were, oh, you know, this isn't the right place. And it, it would match exactly the feedback that you saw on Glassdoor and such. And what we did is we did these engagement surveys every six months, which is probably the, the as frequent as you can do it. And we would report out the data on our quarterly or hands call. And alongside that, we identified the five top areas that we had to work on for our employees. And, and some of them were easy. I, I don't have the right tools to do my job. Hmm. Uh, you know, an example would be I load up, I start up my PC and half an hour later it boots up. <laughs> During that time, I have customers on the phone asking me to look at something and this is not pleasant. Uh, uh, there were other areas that are more difficult that typically come up. I'm not paid enough for my job. I don't have enough hmm. people. And for those, you really have to go deeper. For the compensation, which normally comes up on every engagement survey, you have to bring in external data and you have to really uh, understand if there is a problem, not a problem, and if there is, you do have to solve it. And if there isn't, you have to communicate out to the employee group as to why it's not a problem. Um, but it, for us, it has worked very, very well. Uh, Holger, you're not gonna get uh, a, a, a results overnight. Okay. Little time to get trust and uh, to, for people to actually believe. Uh, but if you are consistent and you do share the, the, the bad with the good, people do begin to trust what you're actually saying. And with the programs, what we did is we, we didn't just say these are the initiatives we're doing to adjust all of the pain points. We reported out how we were doing and if we weren't doing well. We reported out that too and how we were going to pivot on that particular item to solve. Right. That, is terrific. that is terrific. I love the radical transparency and the collaborative spirit of, of co-creating value and creating an environment that bolster engagement and commitment and loyalty to the company and your customers. Um, you advise, you work with some of the best top CHROs in the world. What are some of their priorities today? And can you maybe fast forward a couple of years from now would you add additional things that should be on their radar given the trajectory of emerging tech and, and uh, you know, overall makeup of uh, today's workforce? Yeah, so most of our customers are really uh, bricks and mortar companies. I was at one, uh, in fact, on Tuesday uh, this week in Pittsburgh, a 40,000 plus organization. And the CHRO attended and at the very end of my you know, you know, remarks about the project and I said, do you have any questions? And then. She had not one question about the actual project, but she said, how did you do the transformation at Ceridian? And so what I'm finding is many organizations out there have come to understand that if you don't get the right engagement, you're not gonna have sustained profitability and growth. Uh, as I'm going forward, there are other themes that I find quite common. Uh, one happens uh, around uh, gender diversity or possibly um, uh, just racial diversity within inside organizations and it, we operate today in a very much a, a global multicultural world. And I think it's very, very important that we have respect to the individual and that you don't have any type of bias inside the organization. And uh, that becomes in almost every CHRO conversation I have or any CEO conversation, that seems to be very important. And then the last piece, um, which uh, it, it, for us has been very, uh, it's actually helped us grow as an organization is the compliance complexity for the workforce today. That, um, you know, starting from, as Holger knows, with Pennsylvania Act 32, or whether it was ACA, or whether it was the San Francisco Workers' Bill of Rights, or if you go into Europe, within all the different fairness types of rules that you have, it's become more and more difficult for organizations to make sure that they're on site from all of the legislative uh, uh, compliance rules that are out there and if they're not on site, the penalties are unbelievably high. And so if I look at the growth of our organization, uh, I'll focus on really how do you solve compliance in a simple fashion and make it easy for the customers to remain on compliant has really led to the growth of our organization, you know, the growth of the, uh, of, of the organization. And, and Holger's probably seen any minor comments about that as well. 
No, absolutely right. You're doing one of the cool things. We blew all our question catalog, by the way, because I think this culture software, how they work together is a, is a really interesting thing um, for everybody listening to the show. But you're doing one of the coolest and hardest thing in payroll, which is also off the script, David, right? You're converting customers actively from your old to your new software. And uh, I, I have some gray hair to show from trying this in my previous corporate life, which not should mention, but you can look it up on LinkedIn and didn't succeed much of that. What's, what's the secret source 42 do you feed to the well, There's another side, right? Uh, if you look at our Q2, 82% uh, of the growth of Dayforce, and Dayforce grew by 40% year over year. Uh, it's actually net new logos to Ceridian or add on sales to customers that are already live on Dayforce. Uh, so the, the majority of that 60% compounded growth that I spoke about is actually net new logos. And even when we did our, uh, our S1 for the, the IPO, uh, at that point, 76% of the Dayforce customers were net new. Now, uh, in terms of converting the, 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 the base of customers, um, we are obviously doing conversions and we have technology that allows us to do that. Uh, but for the, for, the, for the most sake, our focus really has been for those customers, our bureau customers, how do we improve their satisfaction? Okay. And if I look at our NPS score for that group of customers today, our net promoter scores, we're somewhere between the, in the high 40s to the low 50s in terms wow. of NPS, which in an industry where the average is probably negative 22 or something, it, it, it's amazing. Excellent. That is amazing. That is amazing. Well, we are here with David Ossip, Chairman and CEO of Ceridian. You can follow David on Twitter at D-O-S-S-I-P. Thank you so, so much for being on Disrupt TV, and we look forward to having you again. Oh, it was great to be here. Thanks a ton, guys. Have, have a great afternoon. You as well. Thank you. You know, what a great CEO, really leading with culture, and yep. to be the best place for three years on Glassdoor and of course, all of the you know awards for being a serial entrepreneur and a leader. It's it's it reminds me, Holger, that you know it all starts at the top. You really have to have incredible vision and passion and commitment to your core values. And with that, uh, we have another extraordinary CEO who's going to talk to us about importance of culture and employee development. We have Carol Lehman, CEO of Exonify, as our next guest. Carol is a disruptor in the corporate learning space, an innovator behind the world's first employee knowledge platform, proven to increase employee knowledge, performance, necessary to achieve targeted business results. And at the end of the day, it does need to, whatever your investment thesis in technology, tied to business results. Prior to Exonify, Carol was CEO of PostRank, social engagement analytics company, that she sold to Google in 2011. In fact, lots of articles about Google really trying to recruit you and you decided you were going to uh, build a beautiful company. And we're gonna perhaps learn about that as well. Carol's a frequent speaker, regular contributor Fortune Magazine, and a well-respected thought leader, whose articles appear in various learning, business, and technology publication. She sits on several boards of organizations, both charitable and for-profit, and advises a variety of high-tech firms in Canada's Technology Triangle. You can follow Carol on Twitter at C-A-R-O-L-L-E-A-M-A-N. Welcome, Carol, to Disrupt TV. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Fantastic. Holger, first question goes to you. Great, great to have you, Carol. And uh, for a moment, I was excited on the show. We usually wear sports shirts and I didn't manage to <laughs> With any biking questions, but in the little preview window, it looks like you're wearing the Tour de France polka dot jersey. Now, in the big preview one, of course, you're wearing hearts on it. So, I could, could <laughs> to get to that part, but close, close enough. Uh, still no cigar, right? So, welcome on the show. It's really great. How do you come up with a name like Axonify to do what with the company, right? So, we'll start with the name and what does Axonify do? So the name actually uh, was arrived at with a branding agency. We hired, we, we tried to come up with a name ourselves and we struggled to do that. And it's especially difficult when you're looking for a .com and sell the domain and, and uh, try to be differentiated. And the, the reason for Exonify is that one of the things that we do is incorporate cognitive science in our technology and uh, in particular, we help solidify axons in the brain. And so the word axon was incorporated into the name of the company. And, uh, and we all loved it, and so we went with it. 
Okay, so one quick follow-up. How many bottles of wine got hurt in the process? <laughs> well, I don't remember, so it must have been a lot. <laughs> Very good. Excellent. So, so how are you disrupting employee learning? And I tell you, I have the privilege of collaborating with CXOs across multiple lines of business. And regardless of who I am working with, whether it's a CEO, CHRO, CMOs, you name it, talent and development of existing employees and also a platform where you can attract prospects um, is, is top of mind, top priority. So what are you doing to help employees learn how to make better decisions, work faster, smarter, and ultimately delight you know, their customers? Mm -hmm. Great question. It really goes to the core of Exonify and how we got started. So we really were born out of the need of a customer who became our first customer to get away from what people have done to and with employees for years, which is pull them into a room, fire hose them for hours, days, weeks sometimes with tons and tons of information that you think they might need to use at some point on the job, and then finish, send them out onto the job, hope they remember, and actually operationalize the right things to get you some kind of personal and business performance. And that particular organization was looking for a way to change employee behavior for real that would help him reduce loss in the organization, which was highly measurable. And it was OSHA reportable medical accidents and also um, uh, inventory shrink or theft. And so we conceived of this idea that what if you made the experience of learning highly targeted to that individual's levels of knowledge, highly uh, engaging, and anywhere, anytime, on any device, that was accessible to the employee when they had three to five minutes of downtime. And that was the initial concept. And so uh, we built it, we rolled it out, it worked like crazy. They had 90% voluntary participation across tens of thousands of people in the first year. But the best part was it dramatically changed behavior on the part of the employees and they got a massive tens of millions of dollars of business win in that first year that was directly attributable to participation on the platform. So it was disruptive in the sense of getting away from one and done, one size fits all, boring, overwhelming, unmeasurable sorts of experiences to that targeted, fun, fast, very measurable, um, learning experience that you don't need to shove down somebody's throat and actually accomplishes what you're trying to intend in the first place. That sounds awesome. Very interesting. So I think the consequence of that learning lesson, which was encouraging, right, very, very interesting insights from that first customer. Hopefully they didn't do, Rick, you like many first customers, take a startup, embrace them completely, and then they're only working for them, right, and don't become that, right? You're, you're way past that point, but it would be something great to see if you were at the feel of that because I experienced a few times myself, but the interesting thing is came up with a new concept of learning ultimately, right? Which... Yes, exactly. And we were very fortunate. Um, we were able then to, to, we built and owned the technology and had a broader view of how it could be employed in many different types of companies for different kinds of learning. And so here we are six years uh, later and we We've applied the same concepts, um, we've honed them and, and kind of optimized the experience for the employee and have now replicated that um, very business outcome focused approach to learning and personalized learning for the individual many, many times over uh, to great success for our customers. Excellent. So, you know, we, we just, uh, I, I recently wrote about um, several surveys that talk about uh, skills development um, and corporations and um, uh, cited in reference like World Economic Forum found that over a third of the core skills required in the workforce by 2020 will be different than from today. Um, so lots of CIOs, 52% of CIOs said that they lack 
or, or skills is their number one challenge in terms of executing to the digital transformation roadmap. And then um, almost um, nine out of 10 companies in this particular survey said, universities are not adequately preparing students for today's jobs. So there's definitely this unquenchable thirst um, for companies to not only find fun, modular, you mentioned maybe you know micro uh, credentials or components, something that's rapid and agile and engaging. So you said six years ago, can you tell us what's changed in terms of corporations' desire and method of training their employees from when you started in 2011 uh, to, to, to today? I can tell you there's been just a massive shift in mindset and it and it continues to change. I would still say market-wise, um, it is still early days from a transformational perspective. Um, it, it has been, uh, you're absolutely right, the way we've always trained people is completely ineffective. It's the wrong content. Um, one of the earliest prospect customers that I visited literally showed me a desk, he was uh, the head of learning and development, showed me a, a table, uh, it was a 10 foot table in his office that was stacked with binders. And he said, this is our learning program for new associates and not a single page in these binders has changed in 20 years. And, and he was- They sent us up to the pictures, right? Yay, yeah. compliance training, there's new pictures. <laughs> exactly. The same cases, right? So. Exactly, exactly. And, and he was one of those transformational people that understood this is completely broken and it needs to be a different experience for people. But as we were initially going out to market with that first use case that was highly successful, we still encountered a lot of trepidation, a lot of um, what do you mean that we don't need to do classroom training or heavy modules online and you can do it in three to five minutes a day. Are you sure that's enough for people? And um, a lot of skepticism about allowing people to do it whenever they had three to five minutes not be prescriptive about it. Um, lots of pushback because the idea of doing it so differently was just not the mindset of typically HR and learning and development who've done it the same way for decades. So a lot of trepidation, a lot of uh, skepticism, that has morphed into today um, the need to change because of the pace of business the changing demographic of the workforce um, demands on the part of employees for a different experience that is very personalized. All of those things, there's been this, um, we like to call it a three-point collision of environmental factors. So uh, the change of, of the a modern employee in their characteristics, the changes in technology and brain science and understanding how the mind actually uh, works to remember things. And then just the pace of business. It's unprecedented and the demands are like we've never seen before. Those things have led to the rise of the kind of approach we take as being um, much more palatable today, including the gamification aspect, than it was even six years ago. Yeah. Very interesting. And David was talking about the challenge of having even six generations of the workforce, right? And obviously you have to move all these employees with a different technology proficiency, with different eagerness to learn and so on. What's, what's your observation and, and your recommendations for people leaders in general, which have different generations of workforce? And on the technology side, how do you see different technology uptake by them to learn? Mm -hmm. So, so this is really interesting. It's a question we get a lot. Do you, do we see differences in uh, demographic factors or age factors with the populations that we serve in our customers? And very, very interestingly, we see a homogenous kind of use um, across age ranges, across um, uh, different cultures. Uh, across uh, the genders. Um, it's really interesting when you 
everybody wants to learn. Everybody wants to be good at their job. It's the rare employee who wants to come in every day and do nothing. Most people like to perform and get recognized for it and feel that sense of accomplishment. And if you put it in their hands and allow them a lot of choice in how they do that, it is incredible how many people across every demographic factor or type of job that they're doing will in fact embrace the experience and then voluntarily jump on board and participate. So, um, you know, as far as like gamification as one example, a lot of people think, oh, only the younger generation is gonna choose a game to play as part of their learning, um, or it's gonna be primarily men. Totally not true, absolutely not true. So do you happen, are you spending less time explaining gaming principles to executives compared to six years ago? Or are people more comfortable with leaderboards and the concepts of radical transparency as part of a strong culture and, and, and knowing that high-performing men and women of any, any age who love to compete will embrace gaming principles in order to boost their, not just morale, but overall performance? Yes, uh, the conversation is far easier today than it was six years ago. I remember um, one customer saying, so you're telling me that I may walk down an aisle and see an associate on his phone playing a game? Are you serious? <laughs> and, you know, and, and the answer was, yes, I'm serious. Um, today, it, because it's become much more prevalent um, and because we now have the proof point across many types of organizations about how effective it is from an engagement perspective. When you get employees engaged and um, feeling competitive, they will, it turns out, learn a lot more. And so we've got the data now to prove how effective it is, uh, how desirable it is on the part of the employee and um, how easy it can be. It, it doesn't have to be a heavy gaming experience. It can be very light, very fun, um, very quick, and, and most people love to do it. Sure, sure. And what was, the, what was the, so you didn't have the proof points when Google made this incredible offer for you to join them in a, in a, in a very strong leadership role. So what was it about the company or what, what was that gut feel or, or, or experience that, that led you to believe that you and your co-founder can really fund this out of your own uh, pockets and, and build this incredible company? Um, I would say, so just, you know, for me personally, I'm a startup gal and um, I, love, I love the figuring it out and the hard part and building something from the ground up. So that's just in my DNA. And um, so Google obviously is a phenomenal company that, you know, most people would kill to work for. Um, and it was difficult to make that choice between one or the other. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm old enough to know who I am and what I love and what I'm good at. And I, um, so the spark of Exonify was there. And I, I'm also a massive risk taker, which um, much to the chagrin of my ex-husband, my now ex-husband, <laughs> um, he was very much a safety uh, security kind of orientation. I am not. And I just threw caution to the wind. I knew I could get a core team at the beginning and I, uh, I just decided to go for it and um, happily was able to attract several key people at the outset to help get it built, um, to help sell those initial customers and to get that traction that would give us those proof points. So I don't know, some people call me crazy. I get asked, why do you keep doing this? Um, but I love it. And, um, and this is really where I'm meant to be. And the talent is there in Waterloo, right? I mean, it, right, right? there's so many great companies. There's lots of AI activity. There's startups that we founded at start, uh, that we've invested in at, from, at Salesforce 
that are based out of Waterloo. So, so yeah, yeah. So, so I suspect finding the talent in perhaps a little bit less competitive space than San Francisco, for example, or Boston is, uh, yeah, there we go. I'm seeing all the product. Waterloo. Yes, I, I actually, um, when we were chatting earlier, Holger, I was going to ask you if you had one of those. I decided to go. Go try retro one more time because of my mumbling and giving too much <laughs> help. So. That's awesome. Um, yeah, this is Waterloo is a fantastic place to be if you're starting an, a tech company and you know it is getting more competitive so um, to the chagrin of many of us locally um, there are a number of investors in San Francisco who have woken up to the talent pool here and have uh, brought some of their San Francisco based companies to Waterloo um, so that they can attract and keep talent you know that we don't have the levels of turnover here People tend to come and invest their time and, and careers in tech companies to help build them, and they stick around for a while. So um, we have the benefit of that. It is getting a little bit tougher as word's gotten out that this is a real gem in the world for technology, um, making it a little bit harder for the rest of us, but, you know, such is life. It's a good problem to have. Yeah. So, Carol, we can't let you go without telling us a story about the big wooden sea in your back, which is by accident over there, right? It's for Canada, right? <laughs> <laughs> that is, um, I found that a couple of years ago in a store. And one of the things I've done for many, many years is I've always signed my name with a C, which has become much more popular in recent years for people just to use their initial. And uh, I've been doing it probably for 20 years. And so people start started calling me C hmm. um, when they you know hey C when they would talk to me and so when I saw the C I decided I was gonna buy it and stick it in my office. <laughs> David also thought that you were promoting Ceridian on your segment, but no that's not it. Okay. <laughs> Too many oh, he had a C on his shirt, so. Well, you, you, you certainly have not been a C guest, but a true A-plus guest, Carol. Thank you so much for coming on. So no, no wrong from that. Please follow Carol uh, on Twitter at C-A-R-O-L-L-E-A-M-A-N. And thank you again, Carol, for being a guest on Disrupt TV. You were terrific. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you, Carol. And uh, by all means, stay and give me, give me some questions as well on the topic, which is more HR related. So I'm not sure how well Vala is going to keep up here. So if you need any help, uh, King, King Aubrey in the background, also if David is still watching, feel, feel free to help him out on these uh, future of work related topics. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, well Holger, now you know why Ray and I have so much fun on, um, on Fridays. Um, Obviously, yeah. Obviously. We just sit back and learn. And the good news is we stay connected and often get to meet in person some of our guests. Um, and uh, so it's, it's, it's extraordinary. So, okay, you so- It's my costume change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me no see, expense let for me the, the logo. Change. I gotta see the logo. Okay, yeah. The yeah. logo, the logo, here's the logo. So, so today, today it's all about the letter C. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's about Constellation, uh, yeah. it's about Kala Kafshar and Kolga Kula. <laughs> so Holger, tell us, uh, tell us what are you gonna be doing for the rest of uh, 2000, 2018? Conferences, uh, research topics, what's, what's top of mind for you uh, as we get closer? Believe it or not, tomorrow's September, so I don't know exactly. where this year went. <laughs> it uh, seems to have flown by, but uh, what's, new? what's new with you? 66% is over, right? So you should be 66% <laughs> of quota, of writing quota for analysts, conference quota, revenue quota, yeah. Don't remind anybody, let's be quiet about this, at least after Labor Day, right? Yeah, no, great, great question. Obviously, conference season starting, tons of conferences. Uh, ton, tons of things happening from that part, but it's probably much the usual. I don't expect anything major, major happening at the conference, at least now. Happy to be wrong. It's always exciting to go to conference and there's really big news coming out. On the research side, really what I've been working on since quite a while now, but uh, the first report is out around future of work and HR is around the topic of enterprise acceleration. 
uh, why do companies have to move faster in general, the case for that, and what can people do on the HR side? I mean, the good news is for Carol was only for learning is an integral part, obviously, of that. And for David on the other side, payroll is an integral part of it because if you don't pay people right, everything stops in enterprise. Yeah, you miss one pay cycle for three, four employees, it's noise. You miss it for more, the second one, the CEO knows about and it's on your case. So anything you're doing strategically to transform things, anything you might be doing, everybody has agreed before, stops to a screeching halt and you have to get payroll right. right? So you have to get payroll and compliance right. And that makes a huge challenge for many organizations because compliance is moving so fast when you look now, uh, people have just kind of like devoured GDPR, but I still suffer from it today because most of my US news sites and newsletters, like the Sun with the Mercury news, I just dinged them on Twitter. They didn't make GDPR, so I get links on, on, on for that one to follow them and can't see what's happening in Silicon Valley because one, it's not a minor newspaper, right? It's, it's a major, whatever, B-plus newspaper, and they couldn't do it. And I read the stats somewhere, three or 400 US newspapers didn't make it in time, cut and their, their links are wow. dead in Europe, right? So... Uh, that's a huge challenge. Enterprises have not overcome it. And in the meantime, you see California trying to come up with their own privacy legislation, which went into law yesterday, and people can't even get their arms around what that might be meaning for them, right? So this is the this is on top of this where you have to operate. So you're almost in a in a constant uh, seismic situation where you have mini or bigger earthquakes, and you can't really expect them. You only know you have to build more earthquake proof because there's going to be more earthquakes coming on the compliance side because the macro force behind is the world is running out of hands. Yeah, mm -hmm. very interesting stat I found uh, last year in Ford where they basically show the, uh, the population pyramid for India where people generally say, oh, it's very healthy and very good versus the one from Japan. And basically India is only following Japan by 50 years. Now, 50 years, a whole career, uh, half of lifespan at our current expectations is a long time, but the same thing is happening all over the world. So legislative bodies know they're running out of hands. They have to revisit retirement uh, benefits, right? Germany just did this this week. Uh, it took them months to, to renegotiate them and come up to an agreement and a coalition government. Very important, but this means they have to extract money from the existing working people and from enterprise. And that changes legislation, and this changes compliance, and you have to look after it. And it's almost a nightmare if you think about this, right? Because we make it easy for us. If they come up with new legislation for taxes, hopefully our tax guy can figure it out, right? He or she will have to get their arms around it, right? If I'm in a company and enterprise, I have to understand how important is this for me? Who do I pull off their regular job? Will they be running for the exits because enough to study compliance, it's only a project, but who knows how long that works? Will they ever be able to go back to their job? Can I trust that person if they're eager, say, let me do it, let me do it, and say, well, am I going to do this? There's substantial fines. So a significant headache in any organization to stay on top of compliance only getting worse. But you have to solve this. And then on top of that, your business has to move faster, right? That's the fascinating part. Right, Ray's been using the stats since a long time, like 52% of the Fortune uh, to 500 being gone. I use one on the S&P 500 that the average age of the company joining being large enough to be in the S&P 500 has dropped from 1957, was 75 years old, was three quarters of a century, two, three generations of owners, if they were around, had to successfully grow the company to that size. Fast forward to 2014, the average age of a company joining is 10 years. So it was founded this millennium, this century. So everything is moving faster, which means as a company, I need to find a way to move faster. And simplifying things, uh, as, as an analyst, right, it's easy to simplify things because you can't write thousand page books or scientific <laughs> treaties, right, it has to be understandable. I'd say there's a speed of the enterprise, which is made up by the speed of your software, your platforms, how fast can you move that, and the speed of your people. And what can specifically on this report, the one on the platform sites coming out, I'm writing it right now, is about what can people leaders do in enterprise to be successful to help them accelerate. Yeah. Sure, sure. It's amazing when you say the 10 year stat because uh, you know, that means that if you fast forward to 2030, yep. the biggest companies on S&P 500, they're not even born yet. Right. We're, no. we're 20 years away. So well, it's just no, a stunning no, but we know from looking backward today that the biggest company or the companies joining the S&P 500 ran around 15 years ago. Yeah, that's amazing. No, that's including, we talked about Google on the last segment, 1998, you know, only 20 yeah. years old. Facebook yeah. only, well, 2004, 14 years old. Right. Um, you know, but Amazon, I think, 20 right? years ago. 
there another league right google maybe treating a, a trillion whatever uh, sometime in the future they're, they're in a totally different meteoric rise but that pulls along so many other companies right. who are equally fast growing doesn't mean the other ones get out of business but they they just wear too slow to adapt to react right so as a leader of an enterprise i have to say how can i be in shape to move fast, I can't run fast all the time, will exhaust my organization, my systems, my suppliers and so on. But when I need to move fast, say the examples are always is, is a taxi company where ride sharing comes to town. Yeah. Yeah, I have to move fast because the writing's on the wall, I can see what happened to the taxi organizations there. So where do I get that app? So it's all hands on deck, you have to move as fast as possible. And what can I do from the people side? Before we jump into this, right? Some interesting stats because I had time to do this. So I looked in, I'm in Germany, looked at the DAX, which is the S&P 500 of Germany, right? It only has about uh, uh, 32 members, but sorry, 40 members, but 32 of them since what started in 1984 have left. Yeah. It's even more dramatic over in the UK of the FTC, uh, FTSE, where it is a 100 member index. And since it started back in 1984, they all sound the same, right? Year time frame roughly in Europe is interesting. More than 260 have cycled through. So, so think about in, in, in a 35 year time frame, there, there's like, it's, it's like a commuter bus where people take short rides. You get on, you get off, you get acquired, you, you're too slow, you're falling off, you get on again. Right? 260 movements on a hundred people index since 1984 to the math and the right for almost uh, 35 years, right? So mm -hmm. un unbelievable turnover. And, and, and we can debate the order, but certainly our first guests led with culture. But if you think about culture and talent and process and strategy, and maybe lastly, technology in terms of critical success factors for right. companies to compete and win, you got eight weeks from now, you're gonna be on stage at uh, Constellation Enterprise Connect. And if the topic is enterprise acceleration or compliance or both, I'm not sure what you're presenting at, at no, the moment. No, second one. Compliance is boring. Nobody wants to talk about okay, it. So enterprise acceleration. <laughs> so I'm a CEO and I'm sitting there and yeah. I want advice from you. And knowing it's called it's a multidimensional world that I have that I'm leading. Right. How do I accelerate the enterprise when there's right now 2,700 AI startups that have fetched about 38 billion in venture capital? This right. blockchain that, that who knows when companies are going to be ready for some of these emerging tech in terms of building compliance, building go to market and understanding that the world is changing and technology has much bigger influence. Sometimes good, sometimes bad, as we learned a few months ago that, you know, your data can be misused and have met unbelievable impact on society. Right. How do you advise CEOs who want to move faster? Yeah, so, so on, the, on the people side, there's nine recommendations which I make, right? The first of them is you have to become business user-centric. It's no longer about supporting the HR people in the HR software, right? This is the unique thing of HCM software. I mean, in finance software, yeah, I help the finance person, and this has not changed, right? In, in CRM software, I help the salesperson, service person, marketing person. They're my users, right? They might be changing, but I have to follow them. The unique thing of HR software is that there's a transfer from helping the HR people historically to moving over to help all the employees, right? Because no employee's job is to be good in the HR software, right? My joke is always to audiences, who, who does not get fired? Which work group does not get fired because they know the HR software so well if they miss their business objective, right? Everybody gets fired. The only people who don't are the pre-sales people who work for Carol and David because it's not their fault that the deal wasn't closed. And it's good that they know the HR software. Even HR people get fired if they do bad things on the business side just because they know the HR software well. Yeah. So um, you have to do big data enablement. There's no question about this, right? Normally I show the little elephant, right? I didn't bring the elephant to Germany, the Hadoop enablement. It's known technology. Enterprise software is siloed, not just HR software, but you have to bring the normal business data together. And if you don't have big data capabilities as CHO, CXO, you have to at least understand the capability and drive your company towards it. Because if you don't have the data, you can't move fast to somewhere. You don't know where you are. You can't relate it. You can't check it after you do a strategy change. So big data enablement is key for that. And combination of that, the third one obviously is machine learning. Little more newer, more novice, right? But learning things fast, right? My colleague Darkenshin stole a title, which I want to use the AI imperative. That's a technology which you cannot miss 
right? You must have a strategy for that and you cannot afford to do that because it accelerates things even faster because it takes know-how from our brains via our digital exhaust into automation. And if you don't have that and somebody else has it and does a good enough job, they're gonna move much faster, be better to their customers, give their employees more time to get engaged or find a purpose or whatever it is, right? And then very important to what, what we heard from Carol, right? Is you have to find 21st century learning, right? So the fourth one. You have to find a way where, I know you're a big football fan, right? Learning content has to be like the perfectly flown spiral in the hands of the hard running employee from the learning management system. It has to be exactly the content that you need, that you know where you say, exactly, how did the system know I need this tomorrow? Right? Right. It will help me, right? So I will retain it, right? I will use it right away. And it's micro bite size will say, hey, you're in the traffic jam or you'll be in traffic jam going home. Don't drive home. Take this five-minute course which has an impact for you for tomorrow or motivates you on the career progression saying, you want to be this person in two years from now. Here are the things, of course, you need to do. You haven't done anything in the last three months. Schedule some time this weekend, right? Why are you sitting around? So new ways of learning, different ways of recruiting, right? Recruiting is a slow machine because when you change priority, you have to find new people, new skills. You mentioned that in the introduction. It's very hard to find people, but then you do everything to slow down the process with external or internal recruiters who are wonderful people. But everybody who has hired people like you and me have, you know, the first round is always cannon fodder. It's what they had anyway, right? Because they need two, three weeks to find the good people. So why not empower the hiring manager? Right, to see directly how good other people and have this conversation right away. And then the hiring manager has to make the call, hey, this is a good enough person, I want to go for him or her right away, which is enabled by the sixth thing, which is the talent depth chart. So you need to know for every position in enterprises, do I have the best person on the job? Inside of the company, right? do I do a micro, like I have five people working for me, hey, Dave and Joe will be happy if I swap their jobs, I just haven't picked it up. So I can do micro in my five people team reorganization, everybody's happy, more engaged, and I haven't noticed it, right? It could be down the road, right? I call the manager director down the hallway to say if we can swap something, it could be on a global level, it could be an external person, and in general with less flexibility, it could be a contractor, right? You need to know the talent depth chart enabling the manager to say, do I have the right people? And do I have to augment that from the outside or from the inside to help them? And the part of moving this as companies move directions, number seven is transboarding. I created the term four years ago, like a mixture of transporting and transferring and onboarding, transboarding with software in it. And, and that basically is you have to be able to move your talent seamlessly. And the crazy thing, if you look at HR, there's a lot of time spent on onboarding and onboarding by all means is important. You want to give this new employees a great employing experience as they come on board, but you do more transfers, usually by the number of six or seven, you have to get the transfers up to speed and the expectation for a transfer is so much bigger to do something done than the new person, you know, half a year till they figure out where the furniture is and do something, right? The, the person who transfers is, hey, you know this company, right? So how come you're not running on the ground, right? But what do you do to get that person qualified and trained? And that's where people like Carol come in saying, look, get you transferring on the 1st of October, get ready for the next job in your free time. Yeah. Last but not least, you have to fix performance management, right? That's the dirty secret of all talent management, that performance management doesn't work, right? It's something inherent, I think, in our nature, we don't want to have unpleasant conversations. I still have to meet the person and say, hey, I've, I'm so energized this morning, I have to get four bad performance reviews, I'm going to feel great afterwards, right? I have not met that person, right? It's a human thing, we don't like to get rated, we don't want to rate, we don't want to give negative feedback, so we know it's important, that's the rational part of it, right? So you have to find a way which is in software and in leadership training, general understanding training, culture, to make sure that negative feedback is okay, you learn something from that, and that employees really want to have their performance rated, because everything else otherwise is broken, you don't know where your high performance are, you don't know who we want to transfer, you don't know where you want to give a raise, you don't know who, how good that training was that you sent someone to if you don't see a lift, uh, you don't count to pay for performance, so everything falls in pieces if you don't have working performance management. That is amazing. So, I, I, you just gave me perfect blueprint for a blog uh, with, with, your, with your last name. The report is written on it, so. So Holger, can, can an enterprise accelerate without a CHRO who's not a technologist? Oh yeah, certainly. I mean, every, I strongly believe that everything can be delegated, right? You have to surround yourself based on your weakness with So, so, a, so a, a, a CIO plays a key role in it? Because anything you mentioned has an element of technology, 
I, I believe companies that have greatest value, whether it's S&P 500, Fortune 500, or the future, whatever index it may be, every company is a tech company, every company is a data company, and every company is operating like a software company. Because you have to be agile, and you have to be iterative, and you can't be like, my new product is two years down the road. So given the construct of, I'm a tech company, I'm a data company, and I run like software, can you afford a traditional CHRO who doesn't understand gamification principles or doesn't understand machine learning or doesn't think that mobile apps can help improve engagements and so on and so forth? It just seems that, like... That one, that, that one I, you're absolutely right. You can't afford to have that. The understanding has to be there. You don't have to be so well-versed. You have to understand what Mike and reasons is software eats the world and what does it mean for your function. You don't have to build the software, write the software, understand all the detail. You have to surround yourself with trusted colleagues, great technologists to help you with this. But it, it's technology and the people. It's a combination of both, right? If you can get the technology right, but you screw up with the people, you're going to go anywhere and you're going to have a bad start and it's going to accelerate. And vice versa, it's both things, right? But I mean, technology plays an increasing role, no question for all roles, but still shouldn't scare anybody. And many CHROs are not technical that this means the replacement of them. They just have to be more smarter about technology use and find the right people to trust and find people to work with and to get their organization more comfortable with technology. Yeah. But as you have a point of technology, Vala, I always bring preps. This time I brought my favorite German food here on the show. Which That's do you awesome. have any idea? Any idea what that is? I have no idea what that is. No idea what it is. It's, it's a, a sandwich. German, German fast food made by the largest minority in Germany, which is called Döner. You see here, you can oh. read it. Döner. It's Döner kebab. Oh, and we then we imported the turkey. So that's what I'm going to have as soon as we're off the show. So to have one prop at least, right, uh, for the show, because you know normally I bring props. <laughs> That is unbelievable time. I know Aubrey's going to recommend to Ray anytime I'm out, we have our, I think, permanent co-host spot with uh, Holger Mueller, Vice President and Principal Analyst at Constellation Research. Please follow Holger on Twitter, on Twitter at H-O-L-G-E-R-M-U. Thank you so much, Holger, for being an amazing co-host and making the job easy for me. Uh, thank you everyone for watching. Next week, we have Jen Grant, Chief Marketing Officer at Looker. We have Robert Glazer, Founder and CEO at Acceleration Partners. And we have Tiffany Bova, author and global customer growth and innovation evangelist in Salesforce. She's going to talk about her new book, uh, Growth IQ. Thank you again, Holger, and I uh, hope to see you in person um, this month at Dreamforce. I'll sign up in a week. Don't miss it. Thank you, Vala. This was a blast. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Thank you, sir. Talk to you soon. Bye, everyone.